Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. My guest today is Fiona Peters, Dr. Fiona Peters. And the reason I am so thrilled to have her join us today is one of my clients happened to hear her on another podcast or a class, I think it might have been. And she has such a lovely story of finding out something about herself. And you know, from time to time, I ask you to really understand who you are. That's the first step in emotional intelligence. And then she took it and she turned it into something that helps the world. How can you not like a person like that? So at any rate, let me give you a little bit of her background. She's committed to social justice and is really passionate about equity, whether it's race, gender, or neurodivergence. Um, she sees all of the intersectionalities of identity as being part of a similar trajectory in relationship to equity. She was late to understand that she had ADHD. And in, during this, I guess the initial, and she'll tell us more about it, she rejected her, um, I had rejected myself from careers and professions and felt like a failure. And despite being seen as an overachiever, there was a dissonance between how she saw herself and how others saw her. So, you know, whether you have ADHD or not, how many of us have questioned whether we're good enough, whether we can compete and whether people will accept us? Well, for people who are neurodivergence, and that's what this podcast is really going to focus on, although we're going to talk about how to integrate that into the team, being different has to translate into being a superpower. And so let's talk about how that looks. Hello, Dr. Peters. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much, Denise, for your fabulous welcome. I always slightly blush when I get introduced because there's still that gap between how I see myself and how I hear other people speak about me. And it's like I'm trying to stay humble and modest. And there's a part of me that isn't yet stepping into that that new um description that other people are using about me so thank you for reminding me of who I am and who I'm becoming because it's a journey that um has taken a while and as you can see I'm still playing catch up there's still the dissonance there's still the gap so yeah I might have to uh, I might have to start sprinting <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, wait a minute. That that may be the wrong thing to do because I think we tell everybody to sprint all the time. You know, you gotta play catch up. You gotta keep going. You gotta go faster. You gotta do more with less. You know, all those things like that. And I I think that's part of what the problem is. Is that we keep saying we have to do more with less. And what I think we ought to say is, what's the appropriate amount of work or items or priorities to get us where we need to be in a changing world? And I think mm-hmm. that's the, the, we have to figure out a way to shift what that looks like. But before we go too deep into this, let's talk about um, your journey. So I gave a little bit of a teaser in terms of being late diagnosed. And uh, if you haven't listened to some of the other podcasts, you'll know that one of the new discoveries is, is that, um, first of all, that for a long time, women weren't diagnosed with ADHD, period. And then suddenly, and I think it's only about eight years now, eight to 10 years, that we've actually um, figured out, science has actually figured out that, yes, women get it. And for a long time, women have been in suffering in silence, basically. Um, and we're trying to play catch up and helping them understand their neurodivergence and what that means. But tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, interesting journey. I'll start where I am now. So I'm Mm -hmm. fully out. Mm -hmm. I have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's a disorder because it's a recognized disability. To me, it felt like a disorder when I was undiagnosed, but now it feels much more less of a disorder and more like a condition. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what diagnosis has enabled. It's enabled me to understand that this is a condition that has, like any other condition, its challenges and its strengths. When people go blind, they develop very acute hearing or touch or smell. When you're diagnosed with ADHD, you begin to lean in to all the other strengths you have. And the reason why I'm leaning into my strengths is because the things that I'm challenged by, I'm so bad at, I don't want to waste any more of my life trying to be adequate. I'd rather just be very good at a few specialized things. And I think if I can just link that, because this is what my brain likes to do, can I link that idea to how we started the conversation in a deep philosophical way about less being more. Because I think that's key for people who are neurodivergent. Less really is more. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we give ourselves permission to focus more on fewer things, we feel much more competent, capable and successful. And that is where I'm at now. But I wasn't always at this place. Uh, Before this, I was a walking disaster in terms of how I understood my self-worth and my value. I couldn't see what other people could see in me. I was a chronic overachiever. I had adrenal fatigue because I was constantly on the go. One of the signs of ADHD is you feel driven like a motor. I could not allow myself rest. Um, I was I had real severe health challenges. I had fibroids like many Black women, African-Caribbean descent, fibroids was uh, a blight in my 40s. So I spent a lot of time unable to really uh, engage in full-time employment. And because of that, I also felt like my brain function uh, didn't, didn't progress because 
I couldn't really fulfill my potential because I was in and out of work or in and out of projects. And I always felt inhibited by by the failure that I'd experienced, by the feeling that, you know, I wasn't quite measuring up. I wasn't quite good enough. I didn't quite belong. And then I had all these other sort of intersectional identities. I had poor health. I was a, a woman. I was of mixed heritage, but identifying as a black woman. I was in a space that was very um, middle class and I was working class. And so I really had trouble integrating all of these different identities. And of course, having ADHD undiagnosed meant that I spent most of my life, literally most of my life, when I came into awareness of what identity meant, I spent most of my life feeling that I didn't really belong anywhere, you know, and I think we are tribal by nature. And when you cannot Mm -hmm. find your tribe and belong to your tribe, you can end up feeling quite lost and outside of yourself. And I think I did, I was a bit of a a lost soul for for a while. Um, And I'm not saying that immediately I had a diagnosis and all of a sudden, things clicked into place because it wasn't quite like that. But I do feel that there is this sense of me having had a diagnosis now probably for about four years that I'm beginning really to see who I can be and what my strengths are. And uh, it's come at the right time because I no longer, I'm menopausal woman. So, you know, I'm (laughs) wise and sage-like. And I'm feeling like I've raised my family. I still have a teenage daughter and a teenage son and I have a grandson. And I'm just feeling as if this is my time, my time Mm -hmm. to really get in touch with who I am and what I want out of life and what life means for me and continue to develop. But knowing that ADHD is, is part of who I am and that actually it has gathered up all the pieces of me and allowed me to be accepting of myself. And that acceptance is the key to self-worth. It's the key to increasing your self-respect, your regard for yourself, your boundaries, your, your rules and philosophies that you live by, your priorities, your values that like these things these are things that I didn't give myself space and time to consider because I was just constantly on the move mm-hmm. wherever you said go I was there so now I just feel like there's this new space opening up and it's beautiful it's a beautiful space and if you're a midlife woman a menopausal woman and you're struggling and you think that you have ADHD uh, you don't need a diagnosis to, to tell you what you know right? Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. Believer in, you can diagnose yourself as far as I'm concerned and mm-hmm. treat yourself as though you have a condition that needs tender, loving care and give yourself that care, give yourself that time, give yourself that space, give yourself that acceptance and that forgiveness, because actually that is so liberating. It's so mm-hmm. liberating to be able to do that. You're more productive, you have greater levels of focus and energy and we all want more energy, right? Who doesn't want more energy to do the stuff you want to do? Yes. So, you yes. know, that, that vitality, that life force that comes 
when you're free from the the SH1T, free from all of that, uh, you have energy. It just is like, whoa, I can do, I can do, I can be, I can have, I can enjoy. And that is like, that's freedom. Oh, yeah. That's freedom. And and I think that is... um that's what everybody wants, regardless of whether they have a condition or not. And and I try to remember people, remind people more and more and more that each of us is unique. And there's some combination. And you talked about all the intersectionalities of who you are, but all of us have multiple intersectionalities. We are not just one thing. You know, in America, we keep saying, oh, you're white. No, that is just happened to be how you identify, but you could be middle class working in a working class. You could be working class working in middle class. You could be from a city. You could be of Jewish heritage or Mormon or something else. And so it's we're a blend of all of these things. Mm-hmm. And that is how we ought to learn to, you know, the first step in truly being a remarkable person, a remarkable leader is understanding who you are and accept being able to accept it. Now, I will mm-hmm. pick up on something that you did say. It is a journey. And it is not something that, as contrary to what training tells you, if you just read the book, practice a few exercises, suddenly you're going to be good. It doesn't work that way. Learning does not happen. It doesn't happen. You don't actually learn until you integrate what you know into your daily life. I totally agree. That's intelligence. Yeah. Intelligence is being able to connect what you know and do what you know. And and this is the ADHD challenge mm-hmm. is because we know what we know what to do. We mm-hmm. just don't know how mm-hmm. and we don't know how to do it and how to execute. And so that's why I think people who are undiagnosed, people that are diagnosed, we are an untapped potential Mm -hmm. in the world. And the world isn't made with us in mind. We think differently, speak differently, act differently. We are different. Done. There's 5% of the population out there who are diagnosed and we're not the same. We're not the same, but we're so trying hard to fit and, and we don't. And so for us to really step into our intelligence, it means that we have to accept that we're different and that we're not going to do things and things aren't going to work in a traditional way for us. And that actually, even though we've got ADHD and we might identify with that label, with that diagnosis, that even the tools out there that work for some people with ADHD still might not work for us. Mm-hmm. So we've got to find our own way through. And and the only way that I think you can really stand as an individual and lead your own life and create that life that you want is to be really intelligent about who you are, like to really dig in and say, right, well, who am I? What are my values? What's what are my priorities? What do I what do I care about? What do I love to do? Who do I want to serve? Who do I want to be with? You know, and I love being around people with ADHD, <laughs> people who are entrepreneurs who run businesses. Like that's my, that's my fuel. Mm-hmm. You know, I just become a different me when mm-hmm. I'm allowed to have those conversations in those spaces and where mm-hmm. I, I'm growing and learning and developing because I'm giving value. And I think when we give value, we learn, we grow, and we develop. And it's yeah. 
It's a very simple exchange. And that's what feeds us. That's what gives us energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that I've got a gift to communicate. Mm-hmm. And that that communication, you know, breaking down complexity and creating workable ideas and simple solutions for things that get people in touch with who they are. Like, I love doing that complex stuff. You know, like the thinking, the hard thinking, like my brain needs that. I need mm-hmm. that in my in my daily life so I have to make sure that I have that so and for everybody diagnosed or not it will be different you will need different things but I need it like I need sunlight Mm -hmm. and I need nature and I need a daily walk with my dog if not Mm -hmm. two day walks Mm -hmm. water water you know like (laughs) yeah when you say this though it it all of the things that you talk about are the same things that everybody needs in general they need to understand who they are. They need walks. They need to be able to prioritize what they are doing. They need to find what their gift is and yeah. to be able to exploit their gifts. So let's just pull it back a little bit. Some pe- This may be the first time that someone has listened to the podcast and actually is thinking about ADHD. Mm-hmm. So for a woman in particular, because they're ten- they tend to be underdiagnosed or just don't mm-hmm. know. Because we're always being said, well, you're different. It's because of this. It's because of that. And we take those names and labels on too much. How would I know to even think that I need to do this? You said that you know already. Well, I may know that I'm different, but how would I, what would I need to think about? Mm. So some of the things that you might want to think about are, and and the way that ADHD is diagnosed might help shed some light on this. So, so there have to have been symptoms of ADHD before the age of 12. Mm-hmm. And if you think back to your childhood, you might think back to things that people had said to you. You're too noisy, for example. Be quiet, sit still stop fidgeting you're very loud your work is inconsistent you might have heard from your teachers you're a bit sporadic you're too chatty you've got potential but you're not meeting it you know you're a bit scattered you're a bit disorganized you're a bit messy maybe like you've done the wrong piece of homework because you've got an interest-based nervous system so you'll do the homework that's most appealing, mm-hmm. even though it's due much later, because that is where your brain wants to take you. You won't think methodically about deadlines and structure and priorities and organisation. So you might notice things in your childhood. As an adult, it becomes quite an emotional dysregulation so there might be conflict with your partner for example Mm -hmm. there might be like um your parenting you might have very loose boundaries with your parenting with your kids you might be very liberal Mm -hmm. Uh, you might have no real filter you might um find that you're changing jobs quite often or that you're falling out with your colleagues, or that you've got inappropriate behaviour in the workplace, or you might find that you like working for yourself because you feel misunderstood in the workplace, or you're not getting the kind of work that you really want to do because you know there's something else that you're better at. Mm -hmm. Um, 
You might have unhealthy boundaries around your friendships, you know, have very one-sided friendships where you give everything and you don't take very much. Mm-hmm. So there are so many different aspects. Mm-hmm. People tend to focus on productivity, like, oh, you need to focus and you need to prioritize and you need to plan and you need to do this and you need to do that. But I tell you, from my experience, ADHD can feel like trauma. That's the way it plays in the body. It can feel like depression. It can feel like anxiety. It can feel like fear of social situations. It can have a real emotional manifestation that makes you feel unworthy and makes you feel as if you don't actually fit anywhere. Um, And that then has its own consequences in terms of your finances, your social life, your relationship with your loved ones, your family life, and your career, your profession. And then that's a self-perpetuating cycle. You just go round and round and round and round and round. And and then eventually you fall off and you think, oh, well, it's too late now anyway. Lots of people have lived their entire lives undiagnosed and it's all gone slightly wrong. And then then you Mm -hmm. you get to inertia and you think, Mm -hmm. well, I'm not going to try anymore. So it's quite important to, to... Hey, you know, have some introspection and and think about how your life has been and the the triggers in it and the the pain points and think about those pain points in terms of the cost to you. And if you feel like ADHD is something that you identify with, like there's lots of quizzes online and there are lots there's lots of information online that you can find right. that will help you to orientate yourself and and work out whether or not you know you have enough symptoms to treat yourself as if you have ADHD which is kindness and TLC and acceptance yeah so let's take it from this I now know it but I work with people who have been hypercritical of my work kind of some of those things that you're talking about of you're focused on these things but you didn't finish these things or you you know you need you talk too much and you need you have instead of just kind of lasering it because the attention of other people is shorter than your attention span. And so you've been getting this criticism. So now I know this. How does a manager who now is sitting here listening to this going, oh, wait a minute, that may be because I have a superstar who is really, really good at these things over here, but nobody wants to talk to them. They because they take too long to explain what's happening or they don't fulfill all the, you know, they overcommit um, and then are late with it, those kinds of things. How, how would we train managers? Cause you know, you and I both do leadership and team coaching that ain't in the book. Well, it's interesting because HR departments and managers now, they, they need to know about neurodivergent people because actually we perform a whole range of really great functions, ADHD, ASD, those two um, conditions, disorders, conditions. A, um, ASD is what? Um, autism spectrum disorder. So those two conditions are very different, but they have some overlap in symptoms and 30 plus percent of people with ADHD will also have autistic traits. So they're often, you know, they're quite merged and and everyone presents very differently. But for managers in the workplace, it's an interesting dilemma because what you have is managers who don't have enough training and understanding and awareness to work with neurodivergent employees 
And so neurodivergent employees often display behaviours that are inappropriate in the workplace because Mm. they're frustrated with the work they're doing. Mm. They're not in the right job. They're not in the right role. Maybe uh, they're not, they've not been promoted and they think they ought to have been promoted or they're stuck in their careers or they're excellent at what they do. And so they, they end up plateauing. So that's the first thing that happens. So retaining neurodivergent people is very, very tricky. The second thing is, if you have a neurodivergent team member, open communication is key, open dialogue, and addressing things in a kind of kind but direct way. Uh, things like, I've noticed in meetings that you you fidget a lot, or that you, you talk a lot, or you're constantly doodling, or you don't give eye contact. These are all things that people do. And there might be a workaround, there might be an accommodation. So, okay, so maybe I don't need to come to the whole meeting. Maybe Mm -hmm. you give me notes or minutes of what happens in part of the meeting and I just come to the bit where I'm relevant, Mm -hmm. where I can share. Or you might think, okay, so, you know, ADHD, you get easily distracted. You've got a focused piece of work that you need to get done. So here's a quiet area where there are no distractions away So you've got two, three hours where you can just be completely immersed. Mm -hmm. And actually, we can hyper-focus if it's an area of strength. I can sit, if I'm doing something I love to do, I can sit for hours and not go to the bathroom and not drink water Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. not eat. So we have got strengths and we are worth hiring. The downside of us is that we are interest-based. And so if we're given tasks or work that we're not interested in, we won't pay attention to detail. We can be quite sloppy. We can miss our deadlines. We can also overburden ourselves. And I think we do that because we people please. We want people to like us because inside us, there is this fear of rejection, Mm -hmm. something called rejection sensitive dysphoria. It means that if somebody gives us feedback, I remember being at work and having appraisals and actually hearing feedback was painful. You know, things that you need to improve is painful. So giving feedback to someone who's neurodivergent, you know, less is more. Can you give Uh, an example of of, um, how a manager should? Because I often think, particularly if it's feedback that a manager feels is going to um, not be received well, mm-hmm. they tend to over talk mm-hmm. anyway. It's <laughs> just kind of over and over and over. And yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. then the message gets lost oftentimes. I can't tell you how many times January shows up. We've just done performance reviews and there's a line of employees going, I didn't know any of this. How could he go, you know, he or she have spent all this time. I didn't know any of this. And I talked to the manager. Oh, yeah, I told them I hit them over the head and blah, 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 blah. blah. So there's this disconnect anyway with regular employees. So what would be a couple of tips of when you're talking and giving feedback? What are some ways that you want to either pay attention or you want to learn or you want to prepare the person? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that in my experience, I've noticed in teams is that they leave appraisals and feedback it's such an infrequent process Mm -hmm. when you're working with neurodivergent people in your team nothing in that 
appraisal process should come as a surprise. You're not going to be saying anything new. Bear that in mind that actually that is not the time to land your employee Mm -hmm. who's got ADHD or ASD with something that they've been doing, quote unquote, wrong for the whole year and you brought it up. Like that is an absolutely unfair thing to do for most people. For people who are neurodivergent, that will be enough for them to not come back to work because they will internalize that and think, oh, my God, they hate me. I've been doing this for a whole year. Why didn't they say? We don't mind feedback. I think when I work with teams and they they tell me what their process for feedback is, it should always be very clear, one sentence, and it should always have clear instructions. And if the instructions are verbal, you need to write them down and write down the process because often we'll make up our own process. But if we make up our own process, we may miss a detail. We're going to try and shortcut things. Make it very clear in one sentence what you, what what the issue is. Provide the solution in terms of clear instructions, and then get feedback on whether that solution is going to work and any challenges. But people in teams that are neurodivergent they need more regular input because that's affirming that they're doing a good job. And when I mean, it's like all of us; we all want to do a good job, right? think particularly neurodivergent people who have heard many more critical comments in early life than other children who are neurotypical or more normative brain function. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're too, like I said before, you're too noisy, you're too loud, you're too messy, you're too this, you're too that. So if you keep hearing that all the time and you get into the workplace and then someone bombards you with a whole load of critique, like all you can think is, oh my God, they hate me. And your memory goes back to the last time when somebody criticized you. And then all the dots link up and then you're not good enough. And then you're, you're not back at work. So little and often small, regular interventions, training also needs to be different for people who are neurodivergent time for neurodivergent people to input into the process. Cause often there are better ideas. There are better systems and ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, you must record those systems and let neurodivergent people have their autonomy in the workplace, their, their value, what they do that's special, because there are some unique talents out there. If you think about people with autism and coding and number recognition and pattern, you know, in Silicon Valley, any tech industry is 80% neurodivergent. Most businesses are run by people with ADHD A lot of entrepreneurs are ADHD, all the entertainers, celebrities, singers, actors, dancers, ADHD. So I think we really need to take a step back in the the workplace, the more Mm -hmm. traditional Mm office-based workplace, and say to ourselves, right, who are my neurodivergent people and what am I doing to engage them and get them invested in this type of work? Because office-based work isn't our gig. Mm-hmm. It's not our natural resting place. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to engage somebody with ADHD who needs a, a job to pay mm-hmm. the bills and feed the right. kid? Yeah, you got to get them emotionally invested so they want to have value. They want we want to have value. We want to give. So how are you going to how are you going to do that, manager? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, this- I don't know if it. Yeah, it's, it, and I think some of it is 
not just a manager, but thinking about the workplace culture. I, yeah. I remember in my book, uh, we talk. I talk about a, a guy, Aiden, who had someone. And, and now that you're, we're talking about this, I'm not quite sure if the person wasn't um, neurodivergent. I mean, it's a possibility now in terms of some of the questions and comments that people made. But one of the things that would happen is people would ignore her. Um, and one of the things he did was not just work with her, but he went to each of the people who had to input work to her, give her work or use her work or review her work. She was a project manager. And he gave them some boundaries and ground rules mm-hmm. about if you say you're going to do something, then you have to do it. You can't leave this person hanging. If you're not going to be able to do it, you can renegotiate it. You can let your boss do know about it. And so this whole idea of being truthful and honest is important. It's okay to, you know, it's okay to interrupt her. I didn't put it in the book that, that way, but I remember saying, well, look, if, if she keeps talking, 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 then tell people it's okay to interrupt her. And she's got to learn to laser her comments when she goes and talks to other individuals about the work that is going on. So yeah. I think it's more than just the, what the manager does, but I think just as in anything else, we have to design and constantly manipulate the work environment so that it does, it is most conducive for everyone to do their best work. And the talking too much is a symptom of ADHD. It's a symptom of hyperactivity. And the way that we understand the world is through words and through linguistics and through language and through talking our ideas. And so, yeah, we talk a lot. I talk a lot. I talk a lot. I talk into a subject, around a subject. I come back to it. I refer to something I said five minutes ago. Like, And that's a skill. If you want someone to do a presentation, pick your ADHD person. You know, if you want someone to meet your clients, make sales, do the marketing, that's your ADHD person. Put them in a in a role where their skill set becomes like gold and yes. you are winning. You know, if you stick somebody with ADHD behind a desk, isolated, no colleagues, no communication, that person will wither away within a week. You can't, you just can't do that. So most people with ADHD who are combined types, that's a combination of hyperactive, inattentive, or purely hyperactive, which is quite unusual. They love to talk. Yeah. I make them from talking. That's my living. That's mm-hmm. what I do. Mm-hmm. I speak on stages. I train people. I love talking. Uh, unfortunately, we're at the top of the hour. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? Oh, it's been such a wonderful, deep, conversation with you i've really enjoyed it so uh people can get a hold of me primarily my website drfionapeters.co.uk i'm based in london in the uk uh but i love uh, we wouldn't have guessed it we wouldn't have guessed that no, <laughs> yeah, I love the <laughs> and then on i'm on facebook i've got a facebook group called adhd entrepreneurs life that's a Facebook group, ADHD Entrepreneurs Life. So I like working with entrepreneurs in that way. For organizational training, the website is the place to go to. And I'm on Instagram as mm-hmm. ADHD Entrepreneurs Life as well. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm letting my gift uh, earn me my my bread and butter at the moment. All right. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So here's the magic that. piece, guys. If you haven't talked, if you haven't taken anything away, here's what you take away. Uh, Managing someone with ADHD or on the autism spectrum 
it's the same way that you manage other individuals. You look for what their gifts are. You assign work that that 80% of the time that they can actually use the gifts. And so it's not the it's not just the content knowledge, it's about the expertise, hyper-focus, being able to deliver on things in an exceptional way. And as a manager, as a leader, as an executive, as an HR person, it is always about how do we create the conditions in which everyone can thrive and flourish. Those are the two lessons that I think you need to take away. If you have others, please leave them in the comments. And with that, we will see you next Thursday. A new podcast drops every Thursday. And I would love it if you would just like it, share it, and talk about it, people. Talk about it. Send us notes. Talk, 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 talk. <laughs> well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.